Welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, getting you ready for game two of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight at the Garden as the Celtics and the Heat will play there. Some things clearly, clearly need to change for the Celtics after another game one loss. Once again, the Celtics have put themselves in an early hole. But should we really be surprised by this? This team has a propensity to play around with its food. Remember, they lost game one to Milwaukee last season. They lost game one to Miami last season. They lost game one to Philly this season without Joel Embiid. It is never easy for the Boston Celtics. The good news is they did win all three of those previous series that I mentioned, but they all did go seven, okay? So now the first thing that needs to change in game two from a Celtics perspective is the third quarter. The Miami Heat outscored the Celtics in that third quarter, 46 to 25. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, it should because the Celtics were outscored by Miami 39 to 14 last year in the third quarter of game one. So the last two game ones against the Miami Heat, the Heat have edged the Celtics. I shouldn't say edge. They've dismantled the Celtics 85 to 39 in the first quarters. That's a plus 46 advantage for Miami. So first things first, fatigue, it's not an excuse, but it certainly is a factor, right? The Celtics... They were coming off a tough seven-game series against Philadelphia, and the Heat had been off since last Friday because they took care of their business against an inferior Knicks team. They had the rest advantage against the Seas. Last season, the Celtics were coming off a grueling seven-game series against the Bucks, and the Heat had already taken care of business, so they had a rest advantage in that one. So that certainly was an advantage for Miami, but the problem is, for the second straight year, the Celtics only have themselves to blame. Because game five against Milwaukee last year, the Bobby Portis, remember the free throw rebound. You get a free throw, you go up three games to two, you probably win the series in six games. The Celtics couldn't do that. And this year, we all know about Philly. I referenced the game one loss. But how about game four? They choked that away. You can't leave James Harden wide open for a three. And then you have to get a shot off at the end of the game and maybe mix in a timeout if you're Joe Missoula. More on that in a second. So the Celtics, they were clearly gassed in that third quarter but they only have themselves to blame for the second consecutive season. So what needs to change in the third quarter? Okay, now, first of all, maybe some better orange slices, get some better electrolytes in, whatever it is. But how about mixing in a timeout? Because this is something that now we've been talking about all season long with Joe Missoula from a Celtics angle in this. At some point, you need to stop the bleeding. So Missoula basically referenced after the game that he called two in the first quarter. Great, Joe. That doesn't mean you don't have to call him in the third. But how about Marcus Smart's comments after that game one? Joe is really big on a lot of times not bailing us out on stuff. So we've got to look ourselves in the mirror. Joe can call a timeout. And then what? We come out and we do the same thing. It's on us. Okay. So first of all, this is what I'd say to Marcus. No disrespect to him because he's doing the right thing. He's sticking up for his coach, right? But here's the issue. This isn't game 50 against the Houston Rockets. This isn't game 60 against the Oklahoma City Thunder. This isn't about teaching your players a lesson. This is what is doing what's in the best interest of winning a basketball game when you have four more wins to get to the NBA Finals. There's no teaching a lesson here. The coach, part of your job is to help your team out. You needed to bail your guys out. And the reason I know this is true, Eric Spolstra is widely regarded as the best coach in the NBA. Uh, What happened when the Celtics went on a 7-0 run to start the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. Spolster used that thing. It was called a timeout. Joe can use those too, right? It's called stopping the bleeding. This guy is an incredible coach. He used it. The Heat responded. Why can't Joe Missoula do it? So please, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, Joe Missoula. Use your timeouts when the opposing team is going on a run. 
And even if you don't believe it always works, last night, you should have at least tried it when a team scored 46 points in one quarter. Okay, the other thing from a Celtics angle is they need to bring the necessary effort defensively. They got ripped apart. The Heat in that third quarter posted a 184 offensive rating, and they shot 65.4% from the field. Okay, so the reason I referenced those numbers, 184 is ridiculous. No team this season had an offensive rating north of 120. The Heat put up a 184 rating in that third quarter. But the reason I referenced the offensive rating, and look, great shots from Jimmy Butler, Max Drews, great shot making, but this is now the seventh time this postseason for an entire game the Celtics have posted a defensive rating north of 120, okay? And in this game, it was 126.8 in game one. So in those seven games, the Celtics are one and six when they post a defensive rating north of 120, which you would expect because that's horrible. The Spurs this past season were the worst defense in the NBA in the history of the NBA with a 119.6 defensive rating. So in seven games this postseason, the Celtics, by the way, have played 14. So in 50% of their playoff games, they have been worse than the worst defense in the history of the NBA. There is no excuse for that. They have Marcus Smart, former Defensive Player of the Year, Derek White, All-NBA Defender this past season, Robert Williams, Elite Defender, Jason Tatum, really good defender, Jalen Brown, great on-ball defender. This cannot happen going forward. And here's the irritating thing. The Celtics have posted a defensive rating better than 107 or 107 or better in six games. All those wins, of course. The Cavaliers led the NBA this season with a 109.9 defensive rating. So in six of the Celtics games this postseason, they've been better than the league's best defense. In seven, they've been worse than the worst defense in NBA history. It's this whole Jekyll and Hyde thing with this team. One night they could look like the 04 Pistons, and the next night they can look like the worst defense in the history of the NBA. So this whole roller coaster ride, it's got to stop. They have the personnel to be better defensively. There is no excuse for posting numbers like that. Just show up on defense, please, in game two. Now, speaking of the defense, the Celtics, they clearly have to do a better job with Jimmy Butler. That's very important tonight. In game one, he went for 35 big ones. And all the things that you can't do against Jimmy Butler, the Celtics did in game one. They have to avoid those in games two. So the Celtics... What they did is they sent Jimmy Butler to the free throw line 10 times. He hit nine of the 10 free throws, and Jimmy Butler lives at the free throw line. So if you look at the regular season, 7.4 made free throws per game. That was seventh in the NBA, and 32.3% of his points came at the line this season. And if you look, so that's a large number, 32.3% of your points are coming at the free throw line. If you look at the playoffs, that number is at 8.1% made free throws per game, which is second, and that is 25.7% of his points. So north of a quarter of his points of the postseason come at the free throw line. Again, the Celtics sent him there 10 times. He scored nine points at the free throw line. So there are some basic things, like when he gets into the paint, Jimmy Butler jumps off two feet. So when he jump stops, he is not going to go right back up and shoot every time he's trying to get you on a shot fake, right? We see it time and time again with Jimmy Butler. So I know it seems easy for me to say, as I'm telling you on TV, but don't go for the first shot fake. The first time he goes up, he's not shooting. Stay planted on the ground. That's one thing. But the other thing is the scheme. Jimmy Butler is like LeBron James. He's going to mismatch hunt. That's what he's great at, right? And what Jimmy likes to do is target guards and guards that he can overpower. So if you look at Jimmy in that game one, the two guys he really went after were Malcolm Brogdon 
and Derek White. Now, Brogdon is given up a couple of inches. He is there in terms of a weight perspective, but Jimmy's too quick. Remember, Brogdon north to south, and we see it with his drive game offensively. He's quick there, but laterally, he's not exceptionally quick. And he was a terrible isolation defender this season. He ranked in the 18th percentile. So Jimmy's going to win that matchup every time. And White is a great defender, as we alluded to, all NBA second team this past season. But he's given up three inches to Jimmy Butler and 40 pounds. He can't do anything. Next time you go to the gym, lift up a 40-pound dumbbell. It's not nothing. So Jimmy Butler against those two defenders, six of 10. He was five of five from the line, and he had 18 points. So he cooked against those guys. The other thing is when Pritchard got on the court, which again, I don't know why Peyton Pritchard was playing. Pritchard, he might as well be sponsored by Target or Bullseye Barbecue because Jimmy's going to go right after him. He's giving up six inches. He's giving up half a foot. And right away, what did Jimmy Butler do? He scored on Peyton Pritchard. And then right after that, they doubled because Pritchard needed help. It led to a wide open three for Caleb Martin that Martin can't. So there's no reason that Peyton Pritchard should ever be on the court with Jimmy Butler. You're giving Jimmy Butler an advantage. It's like, if you go back to the Patriots Super Bowl against the Seattle Seahawks, at the end of the half, they had K.J. Wright lined up one-on-one against Rob Gronkowski out wide. And Brady kind of looked over at Gronk, and he looked over at K.J. Wright, and he's like, is this really happening? Tom, it's happening. So <laughs> Tom says to Gronk, go, run a go route, touchdown. It was just an easy matchup for Gronk going up against a linebacker one-on-one Gronk against a linebacker forget about it Jimmy Butler is like wait you got this guy that is barely six foot and you're gonna put him on the court I'm going right after him you made it easy for Jimmy Butler I don't understand why Joe Missoula would think it was a good idea to have Pritchard on the court with Jimmy Butler the other thing is the Celtics they love to switch right that's their thing they can't do it against Jimmy you can't give up those matchups so easily Tatum Jalen and Smart those are the guys that can handle him and quite frankly I would have Grant play more minutes, but apparently Grant is just out of favor. I don't know how Grant is not playing and Peyton Pritchard is. But with Jimmy Butler, I'd like them to fight through the switches more. Don't give up those mismatches as easily as they did in game one. And especially at the three-point line, you can go under those on Jimmy Butler as well. Joe Mazzulla is a math guy, right? Loves the math. Jimmy Butler is not a great pull-up shooter. Playoffs, 42.5%. He's 34 of 80. 9 of 28 from deep, 32.1%. Regular season on pull-ups, 96 of 225. That's 42.7%. So what we have is a pretty large sample size that Jimmy Butler is not a great pull-up shooter. He can do it, and he's a gamer. There's going to be games where he goes off. But what's better? Having him shoot 60% against Brogdon and White and getting to the free throw line 10 times or make him play the math game and force him to do something he's not exceptional at, that's what Bill Belichick would do. That's a big thing, is... Go under those screens on Jimmy. Make him beat you as a jump shooter. He doesn't want to do it. He wants to get to the free throw line. He wants to get to mismatches. Don't let him do it. The Celtics cater to him so easily in that game one. The other thing is Tatum's going to be involved late. I know he had the three costly turnovers, the pass rate to Butler, and then the back-to-back travels. But just 13 touches in the fourth quarter, second fewest that he's had in a fourth quarter this postseason, and the other was a blowout. So they got to do a better job of getting Tatum the ball in the fourth quarter. And the other thing is, Tatum was one of five against Butler, and he had a turnover, and he had just three points. Butler is an elite defensive player. You can do things like we see Jimmy Butler doing on the other side of things, getting away from Jimmy Butler, because there is a lot of small guys that if Tatum wants to target, whether it be the Gabe Vincents of the world, or if he wants to go after a big guy, Kevin Love, we've seen Duncan Robinson on the court as well. There is plenty of mismatches Tatum can go after, and I wish that they would mismatch hunt like they did against Philadelphia. Okay, so game two, my keys, less switching on Jimmy, 
more mismatch hunting for Tatum, and bring your lunch pail defensively, and the scheme needs to be better. All right, a lot more coming up on Local Angle. Jason Goff will get you caught up on the latest in Chicago. John Jastrzemski gives you the New York angle. And what's next in Philadelphia after a coaching change with Doc Rivers out in Philadelphia? This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Welcome in to episode 243 of the Full Go Podcast, brought to you by The Ringer, of course. Spotify is the gang, and this also is the local angle. Shout out to all our FanDuel TV people out there. We're going to get the local angle every single Friday. You're going to get yourself an hour's worth of content from all over the Ringer network of podcasts, whether it be from Boston, whether it be from Philly, and of course, right here in Chicago. Shout out to New York, New York, my man, John Yastrzemski. Um... I want to send this one out and this one by this one. I mean, this F you to the national basketball association and all the people who are regarding themselves as higher ups, front office members, the commissioner, the, you know, shout out to everybody. This, this is a big, big middle finger and kicking the rocks to all Bulls fans and Chicagoans. I'm going to tell y'all why today slash tonight was an awful, awful night in Chicago sports history. You might think to yourself, oh, it's the Vooch completion of the trade. You know, you get you, get you now a number 11 pick and and now Orlando gets to pair that with Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. And I'm sure Tony will put up all the, the particulars of the trade for me uh, before we get out of this segment. But man, man, let me tell y'all what happened. Can I, I like to paint a picture for people every once in a while. I jump in the car, go get my kid from daycare or from aftercare, I should say, right? He gets to run around after school for a couple hours with his friends. He gets in the car smelling like outside. He's all dirty. He's all messy. He's got everything all over his face and in his hair. And I don't care. I'm a happy, proud papa because my guy made it through a school day seemingly unscathed. And tonight was going to be a monumental night. I was going to explain to my son what happened 15 years ago during around this time. With lesser odds, one point what seven percent the last time the Bulls got themselves the number one overall pick with Derrick Rose being the selection, Michael Beasley going second in that draft fifteen years ago. I know I was in a in a garden apartment in Hyde Park, my first place. Right, I'm, I'm stretching my legs as a human, as an adult, and all of a sudden my favorite team gets the number one overall draft pick, and it changed the trajectory not only the franchise but my career. And I've talked about it on this podcast. Derrick Rose becoming a Chicago Bull, and me looking at the higher ups at the station that I was working with and say, "Hey, I will go there and get some proprietary content because I know you motherfuckers can't ask a question to save your lives out here." Right, like this dude and I. 
I am probably going to have different conversations. Hopefully that can parlay that into some kind of pay. Next thing you know, I'll be, you know, not living in the garden apartment in Hyde Park. I digress. We fast forward 15 years later. We're in the car. My guy's falling asleep. I'm like, get your energy together, Jay. Tonight, I can feel it. Tonight's going to be a big night. 15 years ago, I didn't have my, my lucky, you know, little kid next to me. Now I got my lucky six-year-old. We sit down. We plop ourselves right down in front of the TV. He asking me what NBA means. I'm like, kid, it don't matter right now. I can't explain these things to you because big business is about to happen. We jump on IG Live. That's right. Yeah, IG Live, the place where all the bad things happens around the NBA. I jump on IG Live. I tell people that they can get ready to hear the podcast tonight because we are dropping it after draft lottery and game one of the Western Conference Finals between the Nuggets and the Lakers. I got all my Chicago peeps riled up. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's making sure they're keeping that White Sox misery out of their heads and keeping that David Ross questioning out of their heads with that bad bullpen they got with the Cubs right now. Focus. Everyone focus your energy. And we all know it's a long shot. It's not going to happen. My man, Casey Johnson, who covers the Bulls like a blanket and also is my teammate at NBC Sports Chicago. He tweets out that if the Bulls don't get 14 through 11, that means there is movement because they cannot be five through 10 with the odds that they have. So if you don't see that card, 14 through 11, ladies and gentlemen, we in the money. So I'm like, yeah, all right, I know the parameters. Like, yeah, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting a couple of weeks for this. I've been thinking this whole season. Like, what was it all about? Not ever winning four games in a row. The, the drop defense being played at certain times. Not knowing that Vooch, you had to play through him as a basketball team. And for whatever reason, constantly going against whatever worked. The Patrick Beverly sign that, that helped you go 14 and nine or whatever the hell it was down the stretch after the trade deadline that prompted Pat Bev on his pod to say that if the Bulls would have had into the beginning of the year, they would have been a top four team. Shout out to Pat Bev. Whatever you smoking hey i'm with you on that but man all of those things started to flash in my head how how arduous this season was and you know zach levine uh you know this is the first year where zach levine was going to be graded and evaluated like a max player right demar Derozan, could he come back and double dip right could he could he do all the amazing things that he did in year two I'm a year one, I should say, right? The Vooch factor, right? Was Patrick Williams going to become a better player? Is he, was he going to play like the fourth pick in an NBA draft from a few years ago? Kobe White, what was his lot in life? We went through all that this year for this moment. Because the season wasn't that much fun. You beat Toronto in the playing game, and then you lose to Miami, and now everybody ran talking about, oh, well, at least you lost to the team that eventually got, went to the Eastern Conference Championship. That don't mean shit to me. Just like these all-star games and just like these individual awards, they don't mean anything to me. I am here for the championship. When do you start building it, and when do we start celebrating it? Those are the, those are the points of demarcation for me. So as we sat here, me and my lovable, cuddly, adorable, brilliant, smart, vibrant six-year-old son, he goes, hey, explain it to me again, daddy. I'm like, all right, after they flip these cards, 14 through 11, if we don't see the Bulls logo, baby, we, we are golden out here. We are having good times the way we had 15 years ago in 2008 when Derrick Rose eventually became the number one pick. They flipped the first card. And I'm like, oh, 
I didn't expect it to be the Bulls. It wasn't the Bulls. They flipped that second card. I'm like, oh, we cooking with gas now. It's starting to get a little bit fun, right? Then they flipped the 12th spot. I'm like, oh, <laughs> look at this. No Bulls logo yet. And then they flipped that 11th card. Now, I want to tell y'all, y'all might think to yourselves, Jay, I listen to the pod. I can read between the lines. I know that you like to vibe a little bit. No vibing happening during this situation. Like stone cold, true sober, right? I'm I'm sitting there hanging out with my guy, getting ready. It's almost bath time. You know, he did his little homework. We're good. We're getting ready to watch a basketball game. But before that, the entire league that isn't in Denver or isn't in Boston is here in the city of Chicago, yeah, Malika Andrews, you got the you got Adam Silver talking about John Morant, which we will get into later on in this pod. Like the entire the epicenter of basketball that isn't playoff basketball is here. And then that 11 card flips. And boy, did I forget that they don't do the thing anymore where they put the damn team logo on the card that's already been traded. I thought the Orlando Magic had the 11th pick. I, I ran, I, I, I screamed, let's go five different times as loud as I could. I damn near punched my shorty in the chest. His shoulders folded up. Like it was, it was a comical mess in here. Cause I, I, I jump off the IG, IG live as if I was one of John Moran's homeboys with, with a pistol that I shouldn't have had in my hand. And I'm sitting there screaming, let's go, let's go. And then it all came crashing down because. It took me maybe 45 seconds and a Twitter refresh to realize that all that celebration was for naught. And the NBA put in very fine print <laughs> goes to the magic <laughs> under that 11 pick via the Bulls. Let me tell y'all something. There is nothing worse than knowing that you shouldn't get something, almost getting it, feeling like you got it, and then having it being taken away from you. For at least 45 seconds, there was pictures of Victor Wembenyama wearing a number 21 Bulls jersey, or maybe a number 34 Bulls jersey, right? Go back to the Wendell Carter Jr., the the number Eddie Curry should have wore. You feel me? Go back to the Oak Tree days, those deals. Like, those, those, those visions were dancing through my head. I'm sitting there trading everybody. I'm thinking, all right, where, where do we send Zach? Where do we send DeMar? You know what I mean? How do we clear this thing out for the Patrick Williams, Victor Wembenyama, Kobe White triumvirate that is going to lead this team into the next generation and beyond? Didn't happen like that. They got kicked in the rocks once again. This has been since this pod has, has, has launched. This has been 242 episodes of rock kicking that you can hear three times a week here. Okay. Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays as a Chicago sports fan, you can hear. And, and, and it's a certain, it's a certain frequency with which it happens that only certain fan bases can hear who have had their rocks similarly kicked. Okay. Cause I'm sitting there looking at it like, man, this, this, we might be able to run this thing on back. Like we might be able to, to feel good about basketball again. And no, no, I shrunk away getting ready to watch a Western conference game one finals between Nikola Jokic and LeBron James thinking to myself, I'm never going to get anything nice ever, ever again. So yeah, man, 
that was my night as a Bulls fan. Uh, NBA draft lottery. You have you have entertained me many a night before. You have enthused me. You have given me hope. But 15 years after the the long odds of Derrick Rose landing as the Chicago Bull number one overall pick, we placed our rocks right there for you, and you kicked them as hard as you possibly could. And man, get the logos back on those cards so we won't have this problem again. Okay. That's for Adam Silver. That's for the, the ambiguously biracial brother. I forget the vice president. <laughs> the, 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 who's, the, who's the associate commissioner? Who gets uh, the, the brother that get all the booze in the second round? <laughs> Is it? It's not, it's not Russ Granick. He's not a brother. <laughs> Who? What's what's the brother's name? I, I'm I'm spacing on his name right now. It is, it is hurting me. It's killing me right now. Because all we do is celebrate the brothers here on the Full Go Podcast. But man, when I say this. Everybody in the NBA, y'all Mark know Tatum. Mark, my man, Mark Tatum. Huh? <laughs> Mark Tatum walking that job interview. He's just looking you in your eyes like, I dare you to guess. <laughs> just ask me the questions and give me this job. <laughs> so shout out to Mark Tatum and Adam Silver and everybody here in the city of Chicago that is representing the NBA because you... You had us, and you did it to us. You know what you did, too. It was some great TV. You had a whole city getting ready to celebrate and cheer and do all the things we're supposed to do. But now we'll just go back to uh, screaming about continuity and hoping Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan can, quote-unquote, gel (laughs) and get this thing right and all the other buzzwords that they're using out here. So we hope you enjoyed that local angle. Uh, there's a lot of despair here on the Full Go Podcast. Every once in a while, we get to celebrate wins, and we talk about some fun stuff in life. But this is the local angle, and this is the Full Go Podcast. You can catch us on Sundays. You can catch us on Tuesdays and Thursdays right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and, of course, on FanDuel TV. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special Shield Kapadia here with Raheem Palmer. The Sixers have started their offseason already, firing Doc Rivers after the disastrous Game 7 performance against the Celtics. We're going to talk about her. Raheem, I just have a very simple question. What, you know, we'll, we'll get into the candidates and all that, but is this the right move? When you heard the news, were you thinking, all right, that had to be done, or were you thinking, hold on, what are they doing here? I mean, it's definitely the right move. I mean, I've never been a fan of Glenn Rivers from Jump Street. And, you know, I think he's, I mean, he is what he is. Glenn Rivers is a competent head coach who he underachieves with top-notch talent and he overachieves when the deck is stacked against him. That's what he is. And you kind of knew when, you know, when the Sixers hired him back in 2020, 2021, it was tough to just say that this guy was going to lead us to the promised land. And I mean, we saw us lose in that first year to the Atlanta Hawks. We, we, we lost a seven-game series at home, and we all know how difficult it is to go on the road and win a game seven. And we lost a game seven against the Hawks team, which really wasn't that good. And then you come back the following year, and obviously you have the issues with Ben, and you don't really have a stacked roster you know, going up against the Miami Heat, and Joel Embiid is banged up. And, but this year, you know, to have that 3-2 lead, and you're at home on your own home court, and you get outscored 14 to three the last five minutes of the game when you could have stole that series. I mean, and the MVP doesn't touch the ball. I mean, it says everything about your coaching. So he had to go. All right. I, I'm going to agree with that, but I'm going to say these two things can both be true. Number one, I agree with you. Firing Doc had to be done. You lose a series like that. He's had three years. You haven't gotten out of the second round. Absolutely. It's time. Move on. But this is also true, Raheem. You are an absolute sucker if you think this is going to make a big difference, okay? I mean, how many coaches, how many GMs, how many role players are they going to go through where we're going to say that's the problem, that's the problem, that's the problem? I mean, this is going to be Joel, Joel Embiid's third coach. This is the Sixers' third coach in five years. They, they've had four GMs in seven seasons. They lost in the second round again. They have no, no stability in this organization, okay, they've had six full seasons now with Joel freaking Embiid, and they have gotten no further than Doug Collins and Andre Gudala and Evan Turner. I mean, think about that from an organizational perspective. That That is a disaster. Now, I would ask you this. I would say, how many coaches, you know, you use the word underachieved, and overall, I would agree with that. Absolutely. But when you look at this year in particular, I mean, they were big underdogs, right, in this series uh, against the Celtics. Like, I'm looking around the league trying to go through the landscape. How many coaches would I say if they had Coach X, I think they would have beat the Celtics? Like, we could probably name five, maybe. I don't think we could get to, like, 12 or 15. I mean, to me, it's just it's, it's a stars league. And Joel Embiid goes five for 18 with 15 points and four turnovers in game seven. Joel Embiid and James Harden combined to go eight for 29 in game seven. Show me the coach who he would have come in and Joel Embiid would have had 35 and 15. I mean, I just don't think that exists. So I'm with the move. I think the move is on point. But at the same time, I'm not getting 
you know, suckered in where we'll go through the names. You oh, Frank Vogel's here. Now I feel great. Get get out of here. I'm not going to feel great about next season with any of these guys. What do you think about all that? Sorry, I got. I ag- I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, when I look at this this the Sixers team, I mean, you look at the fact that James Harden through games five through seven, he had zero points in the fourth quarter. Zero points. You're the guy with the ball in your hand all the time. You have zero points in games five through seven in the fourth quarter. Like, to me, like, I mean, I agree with you. You said this is a star-driven league. Our stars did not show up when it mattered. They didn't show up in game seven. They didn't show up at the end of game six. And that's what it is. And I think both of these things are true. Doc is not the head coach who's going to elevate us. But at the end of the day, our, our stars have shown time and time again, Joel Embiid, and James Harden, that they're not going to elevate us. And it's unfortunate because, you know, Doc is an easy scapegoat. But it's it's pretty clear that when you look at the other side of the, the court, game seven, when you have Jason Tatum putting up 51 points on seven for 28 shooting, you got Jalen Brown putting up 25 points. And when you look at our stars and you have James Harden putting up nine points, on 3 of 11 shooting, he's not even looking at the basket at certain times. I mean, he's looking to dish to P.J. Tucker. He's looking to dish to Tobias Harris. And you have Joel Embiid, 15 points on 5 for 18 shooting. There's not a single coach in this league who can win that way. So I think our stars have to look in the mirror and do something. But I do think the, the move to get rid of Doc was the right one. You said it. I mean, that was you said it. Game six, you score three points in what the final six minutes of the game. Game seven, Tatum has 51 and your stars went eight for 29. Like, that's the difference. Like, Joe Mazzula, I mean, what was it, after game four? Joe Mazzula was making fun of Joe Mazzula. What, did Joe Mazzula turn into a great coach in like a week there? No. Did Jason Tatum come out and put the team on his back in game seven? Yes. I mean, that that's the way the NBA works. I don't know how many more seasons we can have of it. All right, let, let's look at the candidates. So, uh, Woj from ESPN, who broke the news of the firing, also put – some names out there. Let me read you the names. And first, let's go negative first. I think we're both in a little negative mood. So let's say after I read out these names, I want to know the guys you do not want that you are saying, oh my God, if they hire one, two, or three, I am out. I am not feeling the Sixers team next season. So here are the names. Mike Budenholzer, Sam Cassell, Mike D'Antoni, Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, and Monty Williams. Who are the names or name on that list where you're just like, please do not let it be this guy? I'm not the biggest Monty Williams fan. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think Mike, Monty Williams is a good players coach, but I think we're going to have the same problem with adjustments that we had under Doc Rivers. So I'm not really the biggest fan of him. I think the jury is still out on Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse, you know, obviously he had that talented Toronto Raptors team. And I think the one thing about Nick Nurse is he throws those junk defenses out there. Um, and I think people tend to, to tend to think that he's a great coach because of that. And But, I mean, I watched the way he rolled his stars in the Toronto Raptors. I mean, you you had, like, all of those guys playing big minutes. And I'm not sure this is the team to have a Nick Nurse you know, Thibs like philosophy where you're not going to go to your bench. So I'm concerned about that with, you know, the injuries that Joel Embiid gets and, you know, James Harden aging. So those two are at the top of my list. I mean, Mike D'Antoni, I think the one thing with D'Antoni is that he has a good relationship with James Harden. And that might go a long way. Um, Sometimes relationships are everything, but I don't know how much he's going to be able to elevate this team and, you know, find a balance between, what Harden wants and what Embiid wants. So it, it's really tough for me, honestly. 
Here's my problem, because you were just going over some good, like, I think the big question is, what do you want from the next Sixers head coach? Because you mentioned a couple things. I think one is somebody who can adjust and that they're getting all the praise for, like you mentioned, the defensive wrinkles. And, oh, my gosh, they came up with this creative game plan in the playoffs. And even though they were undermanned, they won the game. We all want that. There's no doubt about it. The other thing you mentioned makes me a little nervous. I'll be honest, Brian. I mean, if you're hiring a coach for James Harden, when we just watch James Harden and we've watched a career of James Harden in big spots and James Harden's going to be 34 years old, I mean, is that the right? Are you are you going to hire a coach to get the most out of him? Is that the right move here? I'm a little skeptical of that. I don't know if that's uh, if that's the right move or not. But I, I would agree with you that like early signs and you read the reporting are kind of leaning in that direction. Like that's would be sort of Daryl Morey's ideal situation. Bring Harden back. Bring a, put a coach in there. Raheem, we talked about during the season. The Sixers were what third in offensive rating according to cleaningtheglass.com. I mean, this was their best offensive beat and beat era. They they won more games than they have since the Iverson team in 2000, 2001. They won fifty four games. Like it is, it's a higher it's a higher bar to clear. I mean, you want someone who can win in the playoffs, but at the same time, you can't throw away that other stuff because that puts you. In, in good position uh, to be there in the playoffs. So I think that's the question. We're going to know based on who they hire. All right, what was their priority? What were they looking to do? All right, the other names on that list, Ryan, too. So we know uh, you weren't thrilled with a couple of them. Monty Williams. Nick, Nick Nurse also wears that that NN hat. The man has his own logo. I don't need my NBA coach having like their own logo. That, that's going to scare me <laughs> off a little bit uh, in the interview process, but maybe that's just me. Any of those other names, names where you say, all right, I can kind of talk myself uh, into this being the guy to get the Sixers over the hump. So I think Mike Budenholzer is like, I mean, I think he's a great coach. Um, I'm really? not going to lie to you. Okay. I, I do. I just think he's had issues in the postseason making adjustments. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, during this this postseason, he was sleep at the wheel. Obviously, he had a, you know, a personal tragedy. And I wonder yeah. if that had, you know, had some impact on his coaching. Um, I'm a big fan of Frank Vogel, so I think he could work. But, of course, if you're talking about bringing back Harden, does it, you know, does that mesh with his style? Um so I think that's that's the tough thing. And I'm honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of, of bringing back Harden, but I think the Sixers are in, are in a tough position because if you don't bring back Harden, you kind of lose the asset for nothing. And then w- what do you have here? So, But let me ask you about that because I've heard this before from you smart NBA people. So uh, it's always like you want to keep the player for the asset, and even if it doesn't work out, you can move him. But with what Harden's going to be making, like, explain that to me. Is Harden, like, a year from now or even during next season, let's say it gets near the trade deadline, it's not working out, the money he's going to be making at 34 years old, you're telling me that would still be valuable to other teams where you could still get players back uh, for James Harden? And, uh, you know, do you, do you think that's legit or is that a little overblown? I think, I mean, when I look at Harden at this point in his career, I'm not sure how much you're going to be able to get back for him. Right. Um, if you're if you're paying him the max, I think the issue is you can't replace him. Yeah. So if you can't replace somebody and you're capped out, what do you do? I mean, yeah. we still got Tobias Harris on the payroll. Obviously, it's probably ex- expiring. So you would have to move him in order to improve. But so I think that's the issue is how do you replace this guy? You know, it, I mean, if you it'd be one thing if he's leaving and then you're under the cap and you could just kind of just sign somebody new. But it's it's a different situation. So I think that's what makes it tough. 
they don't have any great answers, do they? I mean, you, you're looking at it. Budenholzer, you like him a lot. Five seasons with the Bucks, won a title, got to a conference finals. Other three years were disappointment. Sam Cassell has been on the bench, has been a longtime assistant, but has never been uh, a head coach. Are you going to bring him into this environment? Mike D'Antoni, uh, again, I'm like he's got the James Harden connection. Is Mike D'Antoni going to be the best guy for Joel Embiid? in his prime and the way Embiid wants to play. I mean, I'm not sold on that. Uh, Nick Nurse, you mentioned, I mentioned the hat, the logo. All right, maybe, maybe I'll still be a good coach. Uh, Frank Vogel would not be like the most exciting candidate, but has been a good coach uh, in the in the NBA with the Patriots. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I yeah. think the NBA needs some new blood when it comes to coaching. I, I mean, agree. Why, I why, why, why are we playing musical list? chairs? With, why are we playing Thank musical chairs you. with all of these guys? Like, I mean, I wouldn't be mad to see Sam Cassell you know, get a shot. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure of what he's capable of doing, but I just want to see some new blood. I mean, all of these guys have coached before. We know what they can do. We know their their flaws. So to me, it's just like, like you look at the NFL, you're an NFL guy. And yeah. somebody mentioned this to me on Twitter, but bringing in new up and coming head coaches has worked wonders for the NFL. You look at a guy like Sean McVay. What has he done for the NFL? I think you got to have new blood. You can't just have the same guys coaching over and over and over again. I'm kind of with you. It feels like don't be risk averse here. I mean, it, musical chairs is the perfect word. Like you talk to the fan bases of any of these coaches that I just mentioned, like they don't want that guy. And now you say, okay, this guy's going to go here. This guy's going to go here. Like wh where is that going to get you? So I'm with you. I, I know there's this thought that they need an established guy because the windows now, listen, Sometimes the Lakers, Darvin Ham, right? Sometimes you take a swing and look what happens. It, it worked out. Uh, look at the well. Golden State Warriors, for instance. I mean, yeah. Steve Kerr had never coached a team. Now, granted, he worked in the front office, but they yeah. brought in Steve Kerr. And, you know, he remembers some of his philosophies from playing with the Chicago Bulls, playing with the San Antonio Spurs. And he brought in a brand new motion offense for the Golden State Warriors, who under Mark Jackson, I mean, Mark Jackson, he brought the defensive philosophy for the Golden State Warriors, but Steve Kerr said, look, we're not going to just play iso ball. We're not going to have isolation post-ups with Harrison Barnes. We're going to yeah. put Steph Curry off the ball. We're going to put Andre Iguodala on the bench. We're going to start Draymond Green, and we're going to use Steph Curry's gravity as a shooter to our advantage. And you saw that the Golden State Warriors, in that first year that Steve Kerr took over, they went from 13th in offense to first in offense. So sometimes having new blood is a good thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Those are the big questions with the Sixers right now. Remember, you can catch the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on audio, we will be back with more after the break. Welcome back to the Local Angle here on FanDuel TV. I'm J.J. Johnson-Stremski, the host of New York, New York. And I was wishing and hoping that the first time in 20-plus years we'd be talking about the New York Knicks as a part of the Eastern Conference Finals. But it will have to wait another year as the Miami Heat take down Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, Tom Thibodeau in six games in the Eastern Conference Semifinals. and. We spend a lot of time dissecting the odds. I know you're here and you see plenty of it here on FanDuel TV. We do a lot of it on New York, New York. Of course, we do it on East Coast Bias. And I love the adage of Vegas knows 
Vegas knows, Vegas knows. Because in, in many instances, whether it's a rat line in the NFL, whether it's a serious price, usually Vegas has a good feel. Usually there's a good handle on what the odds makers decide to do. Well, from this serious price standpoint, got to get on the odds makers. Got to get on myself because I actually picked the Knicks to go and win this series in six games. We were all dead wrong. Miami should have been favored despite the fact that they did not have home court advantage. There's a reason why Miami is in the conference finals for the third time in four years. They're one of the best organizations in sports. They have the best coach. I know Popovich is an icon and a Hall of Famer. Spolster is the best coach right now in the NBA with what he is able to do. And the Knicks lost to a better team. It is okay for me to admit a couple of days after the fact that the New York Knickerbockers lost to a better basketball team, a team that moved the ball brilliantly, a team that took advantage of some of the shortcomings of the New York Knicks. You have to applaud the Miami Heat for what they were able to do. But now as we step back and we evaluate this season as a whole for the New York Knicks, this season is an overwhelming success. And I understand that our friends in Boston or our friends in Los Angeles and folks around the NBA are probably going to mock me and they're probably going to mock a lot of the New York Knicks fans for saying, hey, team gets out of the first round and this knucklehead comes on FanDuel TV and is saying that the season is a success. You're damn right I'm saying it's a success. You got to understand something. The New York Knicks haven't won a playoff series in a decade. And before that, it was another decade. And the biggest reason why is because of what you saw from one Jalen Brunson. And this should mean that much more coming from me, considering I am Mr. Syracuse University. I am a proud Syracuse alum, and I adore Carmelo Anthony. I loved him in 2003, winning Jim Beheim's only national championship. Loved him with the Nuggets. Always thought he got a raw deal when people gave Melo all sorts of hate and all sorts of crap when you consider how loaded the Western Conference was at the time. And listen, I appreciate what Melo brought to the Knicks. But I preface this by saying Jalen Brunson has become my favorite New York Knicks since Patrick Ewing. He has eclipsed Carmelo Anthony because of the basketball acumen and the basketball IQ that he brings to the table. And he just is a fierce, fierce competitor. To the nth degree, think about the last two games you watched from Jalen Brunson. In game five, in game six against the Miami Heat, he plays every minute of the game in game number five. He puts up a stat line that's comparable to stat lines that we saw from the great Walt Clyde Frazier for a franchise Madaye that has been dying for a point guard for 20-something, 30-something years. Jalen Brunson's the best point guard I've seen in my lifetime as a Knicks fan. Don't tell me Marbury was washed and he stunk while he was here. Don't tell me Raymond Felton, Jeremy Lin for a half a second. Derek Harper was a good pro, but he was at the end of his career. And I didn't get Mark Jackson. 
I didn't get Rod Strickland. I didn't get Earl the Pearl and Walt Clyde Frazier. Too damn young. So what you got from Jalen Brunson was a sight for sore eyes for New York Knickerbocker fans. But to have the elimination game that he did in game five, to have a day off, and then to have to go back to Miami on the road to game six, you could make the argument that Jalen Brunson was even better in game number six. Knicks would have lost that game by 30 points if he wasn't on the floor. But now the question for the New York Knicks is what do you do moving forward? They find themselves in a very weird predicament. And we did a live show right after game six against the Miami Heat. And you talk to most Knicks fans who are in your life. We're all going to come to the same conclusion. The Knicks will never win and will never win big with Julius Randle as a main pivotal focus in what they're doing from a roster standpoint. Randle's game doesn't have that same level of high basketball IQ that Jalen Brunson's game has. And we saw it in this Miami series. Miami made Randall look foolish on defense. Randall's shot selection was embarrassing. Randall's turnovers were completely unacceptable. His effort left a lot to be desired. Randall was not a winning player. He puts up numbers. He finds his way onto all NBA teams. I applaud him for that. In this era of load management, I appreciate the fact that Julius Randall plays for the most part game after game after game. But if you think you're winning big with Julius Randle, you got another thing coming. The challenge for the Knicks, though, is figuring out a potential trade partner. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. It's a complicated question, folks, because Randle makes a ton of money. You got to match up the money. And you don't want to necessarily make a trade that's going to allow you to take two or three steps back. That is the complicated equation that the Knicks find themselves in. But I think it will be an offseason that's a rather quiet one from a Knicks perspective. I think they played out another year, add some marginal pieces from a shooting standpoint, two-way type of players, and see how do we take that next step forward, maybe play it out another year and take it from there. But know this, with Jalen Brunson as a part of the New York Knicks, they have a dude. And they have somebody that's going to be a part of this thing for a long, long time. They won big last offseason. We'll see what this summer has in store. I don't expect much, but it is the NBA. It is the NBA summertime. So in some instances, you just never know.